The 5 O'Clock Frenzy is presented by Nova Home Loans. Call 577-2600 for help in buying a new home. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 5 O'Clock Hours here. Thanks to uh, Justin Watkins uh, hosting the show as well as being a guest on the show, Battleborn Broadcast Center. Uh, we're here for another hour on this Wednesday. Give them a call at 766-1400, anywhere in the state of Nevada. Adam Cofield, Damon, back in at Finley Toyota Studios. Uh, Damon, we've got the text line open, 69187-69187, code word ESPN. Uh, going all the way back to our soccer discussion with the women's team and the criticism coming from a former player in Carly Lloyd. Someone had some feedback? Yeah. Say here's Here we go, and I quote, Say it ain't so. Adam trying to gaslight. Lloyd played last World Cup. It didn't change that fast. Uh, clearly not paying attention. It changes every six months in that sport. You think the sports evolved so fast? It's evolving very since the quickly. last World Cup that the gap has been closed massively by the rest of the world on the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, yeah, and, and there's some mistests on the U.S.'s part, mostly in the youth level. So yeah. that hasn't really trickled up yet, honestly, but. Um, yeah, I, I think it's changed drastically. And she's also, I think, still referring to like eight, 12 years ago when she was really at the top of her game when, cause four years ago, yeah, she was on the team, but she wasn't great. Like now it's way past her and she's reflecting on these days when they're winning every game by 12 goals. Every week in this hour, we get a chance to talk to someone from the sporting tribune last week. It was our buddy Arash. Now it's our pal, Kevin e. Martin. Kevin, e., how are you? Hey, Steve, doing good. How are you? I am good, but I'm ready to yell at Adam Hill, so maybe you'll do it for us. What do you think of, first of all, I don't know how much you've been paying attention to the Women's World Cup and the fact that they were they seem fired up to play to a draw and a lot of people are mad. They advanced, they advanced, but Adam's take is that someone like Carly Lloyd should not be criticizing them heavily because she played in a far gone era where they just weren't as good. The world wasn't as good. I'll ask you, you were an athlete. You played at Monmouth, right? Uh, fully healthy. Could you play basketball now? college basketball now or are you an old head and you know you would stink now <laughs> i mean set up how are you <laughs> right let's do uh, it let's do it i mean to be honest i think i could still play if i was fully healthy um i could exactly. i was i mean you never lose your shot right i was a shooter so um i can still knock down the three ball with anyone in my face um but i actually agree to agree with adam um I think, to be honest, she's looking at it way too deep. I mean, obviously, you put the U.S. women's national team on the highest pedestal and the fact that they went to a draw and, you know, barely advanced by the skin of their teeth. They still advanced at the end of the day. Like, obviously, they underperformed. But um, I think she's looking at it way too deep. I mean, for the most part, they were taking pictures with fans who traveled there who probably spent their life savings to be at those games. So, yeah, I agree with Adam. I think it was way too deep, and honestly, I, I don't really. <laughs> I don't really care what Carly Lloyd has to say right now. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> and, and to be fair, she is obviously paid to give her opinion. She's on the broadcast. Exactly. If she wants to talk, she wants to talk about how bad they played and break down what she did. Talk about you know how bad some of the some of the crosses were. Uh, how nobody's getting on the end of it. How there was no creativity in the final third. All those things are fine. But when she says, "This is not how we would have acted," shut up. Yes, exactly. if you, as a favorite of minus 18 million, would have played to a draw with a team, yeah, it's probably embarrassing. And, right. and this was not a great performance. Not no Nobody's going to put this on a highlight film of how they played. 
But again, they actually have competition, which you didn't. So your opinion on how oh, we would have been embarrassed, but yeah, you would have played against the 12 or excuse me, 11 women who'd never seen a soccer field before and beat them and been like, hey, look how good we are. We're so competitive. You know what's great about this? I didn't hear all of this when there was such an You did from me. Well, the, but the, I didn't hear the rest of the media and other people, Kevin, he's saying, oh, these World Cups don't mean a whole lot because the rest of the world stinks at soccer on the women's front. That's now you're revising history. I don't remember. Well, uh, and let me, let me also stop you by saying, yeah, there was four teams. And well, so when you got to the semifinals, yeah, there was a challenge. There was good games, good matches where you could actually have competition. But in the group stages, which is what they were talking, and the group stages, struggling in the groups. Yes. Yes, there's good teams now. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Uh, and, you know, there's some bad blood between Megan Rapino and Carly Lloyd and Alex Morgan. So I think for her, it was more of a personal, like, dig like I you know what I'm saying like when I was watching that live I was like it is really not that deep like it's not that serious you know I could see there being a little bit of heat between some of the former players and and Carly Lloyd uh Sporting Tribune uh you want to get out there and check out all their coverage in uh, Vegas LA and Hawaii you go to the sportingtribune.com right now there's stories up there on the top of the page about uh Asante Samuel and the Chargers and uh, Lucas Giolito and uh, struggling in the uh, second start for the Angels, story on Caleb Williams, also Vegas stuff as well by uh, Steve Carp and Kevin e. Martin is part of that package, along with our own Willie Ramirez here on Cofield and Company. So uh, I want to talk a little bit of aces before we get to uh, the other thing you're doing, which I think is really interesting, and that is uh, mentoring the youths of America on uh, media and how to get into it and giving them advice. Uh, one, you mentioned, and I mentioned, you played basketball, so I know you were all over the NBA Summer League for you, what was the biggest narrative out there? What did you enjoy about the NBA Summer League this year? For me, honestly, um, just w- so this is my sixth Summer League that I've covered. And just to watch it grow, um, it's really – it's like now it's who's not there, right? Like it's so amazing to see these big, big-name guys come out and uh, be seen on Gucci Row and everything. It's really cool. Um, my biggest takeaway, you know, no surprise, is Victor Wemanyama. Um and just the draw, how polarizing it was. Um, I, it, like I said, this was my sixth straight one. So my first one I covered in 2018. So I missed the Lonzo Ball Summer League. And apparently everyone was saying that it was just as a big of a hype. But in the past six years, I would say this was the most like polarizing player to come into the Summer League. And that first opening night on July 7th was that. I mean, I have never seen that many people packed into the Thomas and Mac. It was unbelievable just to see him. So that was pretty special. And um, so, yeah, people were saying, you know, that uh, Lonzo Ball in 2017 had the same, you know, attraction. But I, I wasn't there to see it. But, I, you know, in the past six years, I'd never seen anything like it. So that was absolutely unbelievable. WNBA News. We're following a team here that is off to an incredible start. Um, clinched the playoffs? <laughs> Clinch the playoffs already. The right. Aces. Um, what do they do here? Because I think it's thirty-six and four sets the official best record in the history of the league. Do they go for thirty-six and four or better? Actually, you know what do you think? Can they do it, or is there going to be some wear and tear here and a loss of focus? And you know they'll still have a great season. They'll they'll finish thirty-three and seven. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, um, I don't think they're going to play for that. I mean, who cares? You know, like you can easily forget about the regular season best record of all time. They're playing for another title. They want to go back to back and whatever that takes, if that means resting Asia and, you know, Chelsea and Kelsey and Jackie, if it means having them sit out and load load management, that's exactly what they're going to do. 
Um, of course, do they want to win? If there's only 14 games left. I could easily see them if they stay healthy going 14 and 0 over this last stretch because right now, um, you know, they're on that eight game win streak. And I was just looking at the the how by the margin, excuse me, that they beat these teams. I mean, they're not just beating teams; they're blowing them out of the water. I mean, it, twenty by twenty four points, twenty six points, nineteen, sixteen, seventeen, twelve, thirteen, and twenty one. That's the last eight games that they've won by. It's unbelievable um, the way they're playing right now. And could they go 14-0 and over these last 14 games? Definitely. But I don't think they're playing for that. Um, obviously, the, you know, especially the WNBA, the postseason's a grind. It's back-to-back-to-back-to-back. So um, they're going to be playing for that title ultimately and to go back-to-back. So I wouldn't be surprised if Becky started to sit some of the stars and give them rest before – uh, the postseason kicks off. Adam, you still hate this? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't hate it. I just think getting fired up about how they're playing in the regular season is, it's like, okay, great. I mean, again, the other side of what you were just saying, literally, is you're going to these games knowing your team is going to beat somebody by 100 points and getting all excited about it. It's fun. Like, it, it, it's not. I mean, you 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 go to a game to see the unexpected or to see something happen where you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the outcome is of this. You know what's going to happen when you go see them play. If they try, they win. That's, that's guaranteed. And there's not going to be a close game. Where are you on this, Kevin? That uh, blowouts and dominating the league, destroying the league is actually uh, not entertaining and maybe bad for the WNBA. I mean, we kind of saw this coming, right, in the uh, offseason and the free agency. I mean, this – past free agency was unprecedented just the way that these teams were starting to stack up players so there was a huge gap between the top three to four teams and the rest of the league and we're seeing that now i mean there's teams that are the separation between the teams is we've never seen this in in the WNBA in the regular season so yeah i mean we saw it coming and um so i'm not shocked that it's happening um i'm, I'm with adam i mean i love you know the the competitiveness of the league that it usually is. Um, so I can totally see how it's become kind of like, a, you know, even if they try, they don't even have, to be honest, they don't even have to play 100% to win. Like, I would say the aces at 70% could still be the other 11 teams in the league by 10 points. That's just how good they are. And the crazy thing is, is we're talking about this without Candace Parker. We're talking about, with, you know, a right. team, they had the Erica Hamby last year, you know, for parts of it and they they don't even have her or Candace Parker so they're if you think about it like they're they're down a player this year um so and they're still playing the way they are which is absolutely incredible check out Kevin E's work Kevin E. Martin's with us here on Cofield and Company ESPN Las Vegas at the sportingtribune.com you do realize that uh the women's college basketball season could be uh, well the way Adam's saying is bad could be as bad. LSU may go. I don't know how many regular season games they play. Could go thirty-two and zero and be winning by a margin of like twenty-five points per game. I mean, this could be one of the great teams of all time. Not only do they ever just about everyone back from last year's team, but Haley Van Lith is a really high level yeah. player, and it's like, oh, we'll just add her. Oh, exactly. When I saw that, you know, she announced that she was going to LSU, I was like, oh my god, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, so. Kevin, he's got a lot going on on the uh, mentoring front. Am I am I phrasing this correctly? What do you have going on over at UNLV as you're working with aspiring journalists? Yeah, um, pretty exciting. So, um, as you know, recently I moved to more of a freelance 
opportunity um, with the Sporting Tribune and some other outlets. And um, one of the main reasons why was, um, I don't know if you guys battle with this, but I was struggling quite a bit because, you know, radio, TV, it's, it's a very me, 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 look at me business. And uh, recently I was like, I need to start like giving back, like, you know, and so I was talking to some of my mentors and my agent and I kid you not, like a week later, the uh, dean of the journalism department, Dr. Kevin Stoker, over at UNLV reached out to me, like out of the blue and was like, hey, um, just curious, would you be interested in being hired as a professor and overseeing the Rebel Report, which is the student-run sports television uh, station? And I was like, this is perfect. This is exactly like what I want to do. So uh, we went back and forth and, you know, fast forward this was about six weeks ago. So fast forward six weeks and yeah. So um, this semester I'll be teaching a class, um, a journalism class, and then also overseeing the rebel report. So super excited to uh, have a hand in the next generation of sports journalists, especially here in Vegas. Um, I've lived here for six years now and uh, fallen in love with the, the city and the community. And just the fact that now I'll be able to like help sports journalists right here in this city, you know, make the next step and, um, and break into the industry is like super exciting. Well, one congrats on getting this because that means you made quite a mark with some people, uh, at the school and in the media uh, and in the community, if they recommended you for this after that short, you know, relatively short amount of time in town Two, here's a question for you. You led into this by saying, Hey, TV and radio, it's me, 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 me. Would you ever tell someone at rebel report? Hey, you know what? You're making the story about yourself. Cause I don't know that I could tell a young person, don't be me, 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 me. That seems to be the way to the highest level yeah. of success. Yeah, honestly, that's the weird thing about this business, right? Like, obviously, I feel like the people that make it the farthest or, um, you know, quote unquote, I don't know, you know, success is so subjective. However you look at it, if it's awards or, you know, the level network, regional, whatever. Um, so su success is subjective, but yeah, the most successful quote unquote people in this business are the ones that are very, I, I, I don't want to say like into themselves because it's not that, I mean, they're driven, right? Like, but it is like, it is a very like, what can I do next? Where's my next move? What, you know? And so um, when you take a step back, it's kind of like, well, what am I doing for, you know, other people? I don't know. I just had this like moment where I was like, I would love to have, um, you know, make a footprint in this, industry and really help the next generation. Cause you know, yeah, but I, you know, all at some point in all of our careers, it's like, I've been there, done that. Right. I've covered all the major events. I've been national, been regional, been local, all this stuff. And I'm like, what's next? And I want, you know, I want the next generation to be able to experience that and hopefully more. Are you going I'm to getting, teach the kids? I'm getting deep, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> are are you going to teach the kids how to find out every detail about somebody's life, even no matter how small? Because I think I know somebody who could help you out with it. <laughs> wow, inside jokes. What do you mean, like, yeah. like, like uh, just, stalking yeah, Adam? Yeah, find, finding people's houses and showing <laughs> oh, them pictures no. of the house they grew up in. Oh, <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. And yeah. Uh, yeah, Adam, Adam, I would love to have you come into my class and, uh, yeah, exactly. and teach yes. the students. How to stalk Ke people. <laughs> Kevin one day was talking about the house that she grew up in, and then I found a picture of it online. It was oh, like, wow. here it is. No, it. Hey, you're making here's... it sound so much less creepy than what it was. It was yeah, within it was. seconds. You had a 3D printed version on your 
phone yeah. of my childhood home with me giving yeah. you like two details of where I grew up. And you're like, is this your house? I was like, what? I'm a journalist, <laughs> Kevin. Eh? That's Pretty what we impressive. do. Very impressive, actually. And very creepy. So. That's, that's <laughs> a hell of a way to make uh, the debut on the spot here. Adam, thanks for welcoming <laughs> in, Kevin. E. Sure, she's going to come back soon. Uh, Kevin, e., that was awesome. Thank you so much. And everyone out there, go check out thesportingtribune.com. Kevin, e., I'm sure you're going to be ramping up here now with uh, football and the end of the Aces season. Well, football, college football, and the Raiders. So we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Always a blast. We will have to have a discussion with her on this front. Um, DeMond sent over a story, and the front is female journalists making their way in a male-dominated industry in front of a male-dominated audience. Right? And it's a constant battle. Did you see the story involving radio legend Don Geronimo? I did. Okay. What'd you make of this? Because uh, apparently he was out. Was he out at the uh, WFT camp? He was at the. He was at training camp. So he's at the train. He's at Commander's training camp, and a young lady walks by, and I mean, it essentially, it's like catcalling on radio. He referred to her as Barbie, I believe. Barbie, and then he and his co-host said multiple times, "I think like that's tight." It, it turns out it was a member of the media covering. Sure. Yeah. The commanders and now who'd been covering them for a long time. I think he's been fired and now he's apologizing, which to me is really strange because if you know who Don Geronimo is, this is who he is. And I'm not even saying like he's a terrible person. I don't like to use the word shock jock, but he he's a very he aggressive is. FM personality. He's yeah. actually a really good personality. Um, but this is the kind of thing that, that I, he I used do. to be a listener. Right. Right. Yeah. And now like Damon, I, I don't think you know who he is, right? When you sent over the story, you never heard of him. And, nope. and what you, you slugged, you slugged it as like old dudes can, just can't stop. I said, when will old guys learn? You know, I don't care how attractive the woman, just don't say anything. Yeah. Just don't say anything. You know, sometimes it's just best to keep your mouth shut. I mean, there was a whole era of us objectifying women on sports radio and regular and regular radio and FM radio. I agree. You probably should mend your ways, but. I don't think he's going to do it. And then I like I, I look at I see the apology and I'm like, bro, what's the point? Well, if you put an 82 year old guy that's on that's been on the air for 50 years doing this on the air, that's what you get. It's whoever put him in that position. That's who should be in trouble, not him. To be around women? No, I'm saying you put him on the air knowing what he does, right? It, it's it'd be like somebody at the station uh, puts me on the air every day and they're like, oh, we're sorry, he talked about rules all the time. I mean, that's unacceptable. He's fired. No, you know what I do. So I'm on here. It's your fault. So the bosses should be fired, and he should still be on the air. That's how it should work. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, football season previews are here. Devon's back in the Finley Toyota studio. Uh, yesterday, we uh, broke down the Colts a little bit. Tomorrow, we'll have the Vikings. And Friday, we'll talk about the Dolphins. But also, that's for the Raiders. Those are Raiders opponents. UNLV opponents. Uh, we're going from the end of the season to the beginning. And San Jose State is actually the closing game. And I'm sure for both programs, they hope that they already have a bowl game clinched by then. It could be the game that UNLV needs to clinch a game. And this has turned into a, quite a heated rivalry in terms of passion on the field. Kevin Richardson has been calling the games as the analyst on radio for a long time. Played the game at Stanford. And gives us a couple of minutes to look at Brent Brennan's program. How are you, sir? 
Uh, doing great, and thanks so much for having me. I, I got so excited when you guys sent me a text. I mean, it means football season is here, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And uh, we had a good conversation at the Mountain West Conference Media Days with Brent Brennan, uh, which I want to elaborate on. And um, let's let's talk about how this season sets up by going back to last season first. What kind of momentum do you think they had going into the offseason? Seven and five finish, but uh, faded a little bit at the end by losing three of four. So what did last season create moving to this season? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, if you look at where San Jose State was before the, you know, the horrible tragedy of losing a, a team member, you know, things were rolling along pretty well. Shevin Cordero, of course, the Hawaii transfer, dual threat quarterback, he was locked in and, and looking great. And, you know, I know the the bowl game wasn't really what they wanted. You know, Eastern Michigan was just a tough, nasty team, and it was a cold day of football and, and – uh, you know, I, I think I think obviously everybody there wanted to put a little better foot forward. But if I think about that transition into spring ball, spring ball seemed really productive. Um, and, I, and, and in two ways, I think, you know, Shevin Cordero, second year with offensive coordinator Kevin McGibbon. And it really felt like Shevin finally really had the reins, right? Felt comfortable in you know, this kind of multi-look offense and saying, hey, here are the things I like, here are the things that I don't. And then the other thing that I think is going to tell you a lot about Brent Brennan and, and his seventh year is his defensive coordinator, Derek Odom, has been there the same amount of time. And, you know, you had to switch out almost the entire defense going into this year. So we're going to find out from a development standpoint, kind of, where Brent and Coach Odom and Coach McGiven are with the offense and defense and that kind of thing. And I think that's going to be the litmus test, if you will, for me, as we get going into the fall and the early games. How good does the defense look? And if they look good, it means you've got some momentum coming out of last year, if that makes sense. And it really is the mark of a good program. When you're recruiting at the level you want to be at, then I'm not saying it's easier to replace Kyle Harmon and Fajoko and Hall, but you have to do it if you want to stay, you know, at least a bowl eligible team. They, they lost a lot in those guys. Those guys were great players and also good character guys. Oh, for sure. And, you know, Viliami, Fajoko, you know, it, it was always interesting last year because Cade Hall had been the defensive player of the year two years earlier, and people would always want to talk about him, and he was, you know, a great player. But, you know, as the year went on, you just look at Viliami going, man, this guy is a next-level talent. Just, you know, keeps getting better and better and honorier and honorier, and I say that affectionately. Um, so, yeah, that's a lot to replace. And so, you know, I'm really, I've really got my eye on the defense and how much does that drop. You know, you've got some good linebackers. You get named uh, Brian Parham, uh, who's really good, Jordan Cobbs, and then uh, – Matthew Tago, you probably remember his brother, Christian Tago, from a few years back. And uh, he's an Oregon State transfer. And gosh, you know, as I look at my call sheet as you go to work on this thing, this is always so challenging early in the year because, you know, now with this transfer portal being such a real deal, man, you've got so many transfers you've got to get up to speed on and, and remember where you last saw this kid that you're talking about, right? Is Cordero the best quarterback in the Mountain West Conference? You know, I, I say he is. Um, you know, I know, uh, you know, everyone who ever played a position at Boise is always the best in the conference when you get these conversations going. Um, 
But I, I really believe Shevin is, and I think the part that makes Shevin so just deadly is, I think I said it last year on your guys' show, you, know, you dial up 20 pass plays, four of them, he's going to pull the ball down, so it's going to ring up as you only called 16 pass plays. And on those four runs, he'll probably average six yards, seven yards a carry, but he's going to gash you for like, you know, 18 yards when you didn't, you know, when you, when you need it at least as a defense. He's just really got that knack of getting out of the way and not getting hit, but at the same time running the ball real effectively. And I thought it, it seemed to me in fall or uh, spring ball and then a little bit here in fall camp, a little bit I've watched, seems like he's got a little more on his deep ball too. And that would probably be the one place you could attack him last year and say, okay, well, this guy can't you know, throw it out of the end of the stadium. But, you know, that looked better to me, too, the other day when I was watching practice. We talk about the excitement around the program inside uh, inside the building, but uh, where is the community in terms of this team? I know the attendance has trickled up every year uh, over the last five years. I think it's up about 10% since five years ago. But uh, has the community as a whole embraced what this program has done? You know, it's interesting, Bay Area football, where it's, where it's at. Went to a Niners practice the other day. My, my wife loves pro football, and, and we went up and watched a practice, and, you know, the practice was just packed with people. So that theory that, you know, the Bay Area doesn't like football, I'm not sure I'd buy that one. Um, for San Jose, you've seen markedly better attendance at the home games. Um, you know, in terms of the football community in general, I think the thing that we deal with up there is just, you know, it's the Bay Area has just become so big and traffic and all of those different things. So, you know, the people that have a connection to San Jose, either they know a kid or they've got a kid playing there or they went to San Jose State, those people are coming out. It's still, you know, you'd, you'd still like to tip it over and get to a place where, dare I say, Fresno is, where anybody that, you know, is within 60 miles is trying to come to that game. So <laughs> it's better and not where you want to be. You know, the uh, east side uh, facility is complete this year. So that's, that's pretty cool. That will, you know, lead to a lot of buzz. And then ultimately, right, you keep winning. People have a tendency to show up, right? We're talking Spartans football, San Jose State football. They're going to take on UNLV at the end of the season, a season finale. It's been a you know, pretty heated rivalry uh, the last few years. Last year's game uh, went south pretty quickly uh, for UNLV, and we'll build on that in a second. You mentioned the facility on the east side of the stadium. How big is that, and how, well, what's in there? What have you seen? And, I mean, let's be honest, how bad were some of the facilities? What kind of challenge did Brent Brennan have in building a football program that did not have a world-class football facility? Right. I mean – you think about what he was doing. You had a really, really, you know, average locker room, average training room, and, you know, struggling to find a place where, you know, you can get all the kids together and, number one, meet, and then, number two, but probably most importantly, get them fed. And um, to be able to recruit the way he did with what he had um, was nothing short of amazing. This new facility, I haven't been in it yet. They just kicked it open right before uh, football started, and when I dipped through there the other day, I was in a hurry, so I thought, well, I'll catch this, you know, next week. Um, but looking at all the, you know, the plans and, and hearing all the talk about what they've got in there now, I mean, that is literally a game changer. And I think, I think people sometimes kind of misunderstood, understand those facilities, especially at a place like San Jose State where, you know, the campus is pretty urban, and so you're looking for a place where the kids can come park, Right, get in, get some nutrition, get some study table in, 
go to class, come back, get some treatment, practice, eat, finish up their schoolwork, and then go home. And and that's going to be just a huge, huge advantage for San Jose State. You know, they included uh, the soccer teams in on this facility, which, you know, from a football standpoint, sometimes football people really push back. But if you look at kind of just the greater good of athletics, I, I, you know, I don't think that ends up being a problem. And, again, an impressive-looking facility that now – you're kind of proud to show the the players the locker rooms and the and the meeting rooms and and, and all those things. You know, I mentioned the UNLV game a year ago. Um, UNLV came in with some pretty good momentum. Marcus Arroyo looked like he was turning the program around. Uh, San Jose State knocks out Doug Brumfield, and then frankly, the team fell apart, and it just didn't look like the backup quarterbacks were prepared. Um, were you surprised at the end of the season after you know again like at the beginning of the spot we're critiquing a seven and five season? If you had told people ten years ago, hey seven and five, that's not good at San Jose State. I mean, there's a reality that was a solid season. UNLV went five and seven and looked like it was moving forward, but the powers that be were like, eh, you know what, we're going to move on from Arroyo. Were you surprised? You know, I actually was, um, and you know, there's a little bit of a bias, right? We always tell those stories, you know. Brent Brennan was in Marcus Arroyo's wedding and vice versa and all those things. And I, I've met Marcus a few times and, and um, it was just interesting. The, the UNLV game, just kind of how the trap door just kind of went out um, on them, you know, offensively when the quarterback got hurt. And at the same time, you could see all of those things that were moving in the right direction. If anything, I was kind of going, okay, this is kind of where San Jose was a couple of years ago, and, man, they're about ready to get it going. So, yeah, I would say the change really surprised me. Um, you know, I, I just look at this, you know, the, the, the group of five football, and it's just such a scramble to get relevant and stay relevant. And, you know, all of that conference realignment and all those different things, I, I you know, obviously – Maybe that was the decision to, to, to make a move. I, I, I just always question when you're going to make a move, you think about what Marcus likes to do on offense and four verts and throw it and do all those things. And then you make a, you make a transition to Barry Odom and, you know, that guy's a lot of things, but it isn't four verts and play fast, right? So, so you've got to kind of cycle through, you know, a, a, a roster too, I think, to get things set up the way you want them to be. So it, It'll be interesting to see how, how things emerge. That's for sure. I, I think for the for the Rebels, as they get their season underway, delicate balance at the beginning of the season for San Jose State. You open the stadium in the second game, get to show off that facility. The stadium completed with Oregon State, so that's going to be rowdy. But that means you have USC on the road and Oregon State. From a physicality standpoint, how do you compete in those games and make sure that you don't get beat to hell where it ruins the next couple of games? Boy, you're, you're telling me, you know, I was putting together notes for the first two games. I always do that well in advance, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, preseason number four team with USC and, you know, Heisman winner and uh, SC, it sounds funny to say, but struggled on defense last year and went to the transfer portal hard. And I would say if I look at the talent they brought in, they're probably not going to struggle on defense. So, yeah, you've got to keep Shevin healthy through those first two games. That's for sure. I think that's a, that, that obviously goes without saying, but that's, that's a real priority. And I think, you know, if I watch the way Shevin plays football, he's really good at not getting hit. And that's, that's a big deal with these quarterbacks because, you know, quarterbacks and linebackers, the linebacker is, is, is going to win. The one that scares me from a, a physicality standpoint is that Oregon state team coming in 
you know, for their opener, I was telling somebody the other day, remember these guys were 10 and three last year. Um, and if you look at their, their defensive coordinator, you know, that's a guy that Brent Brennan has, uh, you know, a history with much like Marcus Arroyo, you know, they're really good friends. And, um, you know, you, you think about Trent Bray, the defensive coordinator, you know, he was just a tough, ornery, you know, Oregon State quarterback, and now he's running the defense. And I think, you know, they had some crazy number last year in terms of their ranking uh, defensively. You know, it was top 15, I believe, if memory serves me correct. So that one, from a physical standpoint, spooks me quite a bit because those guys will come in gunned up and ready to go. And then, you know, you, you walk into this Cal Poly game, which, you know, they're going through a transition, but they always bring a ton of fans for that for that matchup. And then, you know, you flip right back around, and it, it just doesn't get any easier. You go to Toledo, I think they were, what, 9-10 win team last year. And then you come back on a short week and play Air Force on a Friday. At least that's at home. And then you go to Boise. So, yeah, the the, uh, the hurdles don't get any lower there in the first half for, for San Jose State. That's the voice of Kevin Richardson. We'll close it on this one, uh, doing a San Jose State preview. But you played your football at Stanford. Uh, we've had this discussion now for a couple of years, but now we are really close to just absolute chaos. As a Stanford guy, what do you want to see happen yeah. here with the Pac-12? You know, I would love to see the Pac-12 stay together. Um, the thing that I, I, I question on the USC-UCLA move to the Big Ten I think I said it last year when we talked about this. I understand football being a national, you know, coast-to-coast conference, but I have read some stuff about, you know, baseball recruits not as interested in USC and UCLA because they don't really want to go to Iowa in March and sit there for three rainouts. Um, I hope they pull it together. I was really stunned that the San Diego State thing didn't move forward. Um, you know, looking at their facilities and the basketball and all that stuff, it seemed right. Um, so I hope it stays together. You know, Stanford's got Troy Taylor in place. He's a, he's actually, I think, a pretty impressive coach once all the dust settles. But for him, he's got to get through this year with, uh, with a roster that, you know, has been depleted via the transfer portal. And, um, you know, you just don't catch up that fast at Stanford. So if uh, Utah, Arizona State, and uh, Arizona all leave for the Big Twelve, which could happen, I mean, then you're it's you have a small conference now. Again, as a Stanford yeah. guy, what what what's the best case scenario? You just are Cal and Stanford going to be independent and just wait for uh, the Big Ten to come calling? I mean, do you see a some sort of Super West conference where it's a lot of Mountain West teams and the remaining teams? I mean, would, is Stanford going to want to you know be in the same conference as UNLV in New Mexico? What where are we five years from now? Yeah, where are we? And, you know, the, the roadblock on, on all this is always research universities in the Pac-12, right? That's the, the, the real deal, because remember, the presidents vote on this stuff, yeah. um, and that's what they're solely obsessed with. But I think if you had the full jailbreak, Arizona, Arizona State out, like you're talking about, Utah, whatever, I, I think then you've got to really get to work and say, okay, well, gosh, doesn't you know UNLV and San Diego State, all, all those schools you mentioned, you've got to you've got to put it together. The problematic thing for Stanford is you know the 34 sports, right? There's so much on all of those other sports that are really important to that community um, that 
you know, they have to be real thoughtful with what they're doing there. You know, do we have, you know, the tennis conference that we want to be in? And, and you know, it's almost a rig game for Stanford because, you know, half of the girls that are playing uh, tennis at Stanford have played, you know, juniors tennis and were, you know, ranked one and two in the world. So right. you've got to make sure that's right. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem. And, boy, I tell you, it, it, it doesn't look like it's uh, getting any better anytime soon. Kind of, kind of wild. And, you know, the, the Colorado move, that's an interesting one to me because, okay, great, you've moved, but you still got to get yourself to a place where you're relevant. And yeah. I was kind of a fan of this, you know, Coach Prime coming in and doing what he was doing. But at the same time, if you're turning over 50, 60, 70 players, there's just not enough talent out there to turn them over for better players. At some point, you have to develop. So it doesn't matter if you're in the Big 12 or the Pac-12. You, you know, you've got, to, you've got to make players better so you can win games. I agree. Uh, last minute, Adam, go ahead. I just, I mean, the report today about Cal and Stanford joining Oregon and Washington and UCLA and USC, isn't that just the the end game of solving all the other sports? They just play each other in the in the minor sports and then have football and basketball in the Big Ten. Isn't that the, the isn't that the path they're probably exploring at this point? I, I would think, I would think, right? But I, the part I never pick up on any of this stuff is any of the outreach from the Big Ten, right? Is is the is the offer actually on you know, the, the table. And, uh, and again, ultimately, I mean, I, I always think about these road trips. I mean, I, I'm looking at this Toledo game for San Jose State and going, man, that's just not fun with a, you know, five o'clock kickoff uh, Toledo time. Right? So, so, you know, when you look at that big 10, I mean, it's not like a kid goes to UCLA going, man, I hope I can go say, play some, play some college baseball in New Jersey in March, you know? Um, so I don't think it's going to be, as fun as you think it's going to be outside of football, I get how you can make a you know a conference like that work from a football standpoint, but the rest of it is that's a lot of work. Kevin, you're awesome, man. We appreciate it. Uh, have fun this season, and we'll see you in uh, just a little bit. You bet. You guys are the best. Thanks for having me, and have have a great open. There he is, Kevin Richardson, former linebacker at Stanford, so certainly has interest in Stanford and the Pac-12, and yeah. This is a freaking mess. Hey, one thing, I haven't read this yet, but I know the Big 12, when they added Colorado, then they have a chance to add another Power 5. If they add two Power 5s, they can go and renegotiate their deal. I wonder if the Big 10 has that clause, if they keep adding schools, uh, if they can go and renegotiate the money, or the money's incredible now. It's going to be like $80, $90 million a school. I wonder if they can go back to the table and make sure everyone in a mega conference is still getting upwards of 80 or $90 million. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, rolling on. Grab Bag to close things out. Uh, This part of the program is brought to you by Nova Home Loans. 576-2600 is the number. Give John a call. He's got a lot of solutions for interest rates, also some savings on a home if you're a first-time buyer. It's got uh, also some incentives there. 577-2600 is the number. Uh, you've been out at Raiders camp every day, and some of the feedback from the players is pretty interesting with the press conferences. Uh, others, they're, they're kind of quick. Um, Malcolm Kuntz spoke today, and I wonder where his spot is on the team. Did he? he came in, uh, the, I think the, the entire presser was about 220, two minutes and 20 seconds, uh, with some dead space. We shortened it to this, but this was actually the all of the questions from you guys in the media and Malcolm's answers. What's up? 
Malcolm, we were talking to some of the other players and last year. It, it seemed like there was a lot of learning going on, but this year it seems like guys are having fun. They're enjoying camp, maybe because you have a year of the system underneath it. Do you see that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I definitely feel like we're way more comfortable and definitely feel like we know what we're doing and stuff like that. Sort of the focus for yourself this offseason? I mean, and trying to... Just trying to be better than I was last year. That's it. I'm just competing with myself. That's it. And where's things in particular that you thought from last year that you needed to improve? Just all around. Just all around trying to be a better player in every sense. Even the things I was good at, trying to get better at that, things I was bad at. You feel better, I guess now, uh, with or more comfortable with where you are and everything than you were last year at this time. Is that did you accomplish? I guess what you wanted to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think definitely last year, brand new system, after going from uh, a different system, my rookie year. So it's my second year in the same system. So I definitely feel way more comfortable than I was. So what, what do you think is the keys to this defense having success? Uh, just playing our game. That's it. All right, there you go, Malcolm Kuntz. What's your impression? Are you weaning, are you weaning something from that that he was really quick on? Frankly, what were your questions? Are fine. There were a couple of questions in the middle that were not great. Um, and well, I can also tell you that it was the way he was just staring at me, like, stop. It was nobody wanted to ask a question because he was just like, I'm not going to answer. So, go. oh, really? There was a vibe yeah. you could feel. Yeah, and so I was just throwing. I was like, please say something. My my question literally was going to be, can you just talk? Can you say something? Why didn't you bring up uh, Buffalo and why don't you use the Chandler Jones garbage play no. material? It was be- there's better than that because we had a we had some stuff ready to go that we needed to ask him, and the person that was going to do it was so freaked out he was like I'm not I can't do this. What do you mean? Are you, what are you assigning stuff? And who's backing down? Come on! Yeah, I don't want to call him out, but uh, a player yesterday uh, crowned himself the. He said we competed everything in that defensive line room, and he crowned himself champion of being able to throw things into the trash can. Okay. So we said any defensive lineman that comes in, there's a certain person that's supposed to ask, is he really the champ? And uh, this person just was, uh, he was like, he didn't look like he wanted to be in a funny mood right, right. now. <laughs> like, okay. So that person's fired or are they still have the responsibility? We gave, we're giving him one more chance. Okay. Why do you think Koontz is in a mood? It's a great question. Well, he first of all, does he's he never. Not, does he not like you guys? Is that always the he's way never, he is? He's or, never been into or it. Or is he feeling some pressure in camp? I'm sure he's feeling pressure. I mean, I think he'd probably... It's it's probably fifty fifty at this point that he makes the team, I would imagine. So I, I'm sure he's feeling pressure, and he, he's never really enjoyed doing that. So I mean, I, I get it, but like he can say no. There is there is an ability to say no. Oh, so they don't, don't, they don't do have it. to do these. No, yeah. no. I mean, they're encouraged, strongly encouraged to do it. Right. By the way, just uh, came across that uh, Arizona has called a special session tomorrow oh, to discuss quote possible legal advice and discussion regarding university athletics. Okay, they're gone. It's not looking good. You worried, you worried, George? Uncertain. You worried now, George? You're, t- you're taking a special pleasure in this. I do have to say earlier when I was flipping out, and we'll try to put this out on uh, some video later on, I was flipping out at Paul Feinbaum seeming to revel in the collapse of the Pac-12 and saying right now, even with the existing teams, there's nothing worth watching. Do you realize how ridiculous a conversation it is to hear Paul Feinbaum talk about college athletics and then talk to someone from Stanford? And, like, there's so much more going on with college, with college athletics, then, and again, Feinbaum, it, it's it's a bit. I get it. But SEC guy on college sports, I, I, I really don't care. The Las Vegas Aces are in the Big Apple to take on the New York Liberty Sunday at 1130 on ESPN Las Vegas. 1100 AM and 100.9 FM KWWN Las Vegas.